Geek Shock. Geek Shock. What's that? Etch-a-Sketch. He's got a speaking spell. I've got an Etch-a-Sketch. I C U B. <laughs> Classic. Jeff, I, I, I'm sad you weren't with us last week because because of the Peeps movie thing. I, I wanted you to be there because you're such a fan of Peeps that we needed your voice to help defend the candy, if not the movie. I, I can defend the candy, the movie, not so much. <laughs> you, you don't think there's a story there somewhere to be found? There's No. No? But uh, <sighs> then at least defend the candy. Um, it's marshmallow. It's sugar. I mean, what more do you want? <laughs> it's gritty. It's and you can taste gritty the if dry. you have bad teeth. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't. I don't. <laughs> what? I, I, I don't grit. know what you're talking about. Gritty. I've never had any issues with it. It's coated in sugar. Literal How sugar do... grains, like granules. It's gritty. Yeah, which like what? dissolve instantly when they hit your tongue. They're because they're so finely ground. I'm reading the serving size. Four chicks. That's I mean, I only eat about two at a time. Plus, they're also better when they uh, when they firm up a little bit after they've been exposed to the air for a few days. You mean when they get stale? <laughs> no, not stale. <laughs> Just I feel the firmer. same way about gummies. I think gummies are better stale. <laughs> I, I, want, I want like, them to be uh, tough. Like I, sour, I sour gummies are always a little better when they've been exposed to the air for a couple of days. I have family that uh, are big defenders of Necco wafers, and those are born sale. Oh, <laughs> true. <laughs> oh, lady candy. Yeah, oh, very much. Very much so. Very much so. Ne- Necco wafers, it depends on what flavor you get, because there's one that literally just tastes like chalk, and then there's one that's sort of fruit-flavored, so it's almost like fruit-flavored chalk. No, it's, um, it's all chalk. Talk about the ones that used to, they come in like that white wax paper. Yeah. yeah. Like little discs, right? The, yeah. the one that, the one that was used during the Civil War is torture. <laughs> <laughs> you mean anything flavored black licorice? Right. Yeah. Hey, what's yeah. wrong with black licorice? Exactly. It's disgusting. Literally, it's disgusting. literally, the Necco wafers really do uh, uh, date from the Civil War. That's when they came into being. See. I have a great aunt. Who was born in Italy in like 190 something? She's dead now. Um, oh, just oh. let's be clear. But she, I used to, uh, I used to, from the back seat of the car, say, uh, 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 Mary, you got any candy? And she'd always, she'd always have candy. You know, it was, it was, it was a crapshoot because sometimes she'd have the nice little hard lemon candies and sometimes she'd have like this. Orchid candy, ah, like like a like a a violet lavender candy. Oh God, it was violently awful, and I I would eat it like, this is disgusting. And she'd say, "But fungal," and then (laughs) I go away. Yeah, those those candies that have that light coating of, I guess it's supposed to be powdered sugar, but it just they always look dusty. Yeah, they do. (laughs) You know that. Your your story, Barry, actually reminds me of something I hadn't I haven't thought about in decades. Oh. Uh, my grandfather on my mom's side, he used to carry a little bag of jelly beans in his pocket, and he'd give them out to all the grandkids when we were hanging around. And was uh, there a hole in his pocket? No. 
he had a he had a bag of jelly beans in his pocket, and he would take a few out and hand them out to to all us grandkids. And uh, I liked the black licorice one, and Damn it right. was fortunate because none of the other grandkids, my cousins, okay. liked the black li- licorice one. So I got to eat those. So I always seem to get more more jelly beans than the rest of the kids. See, I'm happy that all y'all hate black licorice because that leaves at the end of Easter bags and bags of black jelly beans for 50 cents each that, that I just get to enjoy all completely. You just leave it all for me, and I appreciate it. Damn straight. Absolutely. Black licorice mm. matters. There's only one place it's okay, and that's in coffee with some Whoa, whoa, mom. whoa. All licorice matters. What's wrong with you, Kay? Oh, yeah, racist. <laughs> you just say it. Go ahead. Damn, what a, what a what a candy bigot there, Matt. He's the one who said it. <laughs> Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number 585. I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. Back check, Dandy. Barely on the show, Matt. <laughs> Dr. Lark. And Deb. And we're to talk week and geek. Good to have you all back. Barry got uh, sent me something nice this week. Barry sent me my very own webcam that I'm using for the first time uh, so that we can all see each other and see when we all need to speak. That's that's nice. Maybe it'll help the show run a little better. Got a feeling I, it won't. I think so. I think, it'll, I think it'll help the show a lot, and I think it's helpful for me to look at you to remind me why I don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> so it says the man that just sent him a web camera. Right, and I was uh, very thankful that I sent him a a thank you gift in return. Yes, he did. He sent me some blue marshmallow peeps, reminding mm. me why he is undeserving of my friendship. <laughs> he meant to send them to me. He 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 actually likes me. No, no, I meant to send them to Barry. I, I don't send Barry things that he likes. What what's the point of that? Only there things he go. doesn't need or want. Yeah. Yeah. Wait till he finds out about the little sound generator in the back. That, that's actually in my notes. Uh, Barry is becoming the new Paul. He hates everything. Uh, <laughs> that's, that, that goes actually, along with the advanced age. Oh. I swear that I will get some use out of these peeps. Uh, it's not going to be one of those shitty gifts like you got me that, like, the equivalent of Barbie horse adventures on Steam, you know? <laughs> I haven't forgot about that. Uh, and, like, Cricket or something that you got for me on Steam. For me on Steam, yeah, I tried it. It's crap. No, I'm actually gonna use these now. I looked up some recipes for Peeps online. I found chocolate dipped Peeps, which I might try. Ah. Uh, you can do Peeps on top of like a Jello shot. You could do Peeps on top of like what looks to be like an eaten mess. It's an English dessert. Um, but I think my favorite, which I totally will not ever make or drink, is vodka in, with infused with Peeps. You know, I expect <laughs> something far more, like peep-dusted baby back ribs from you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You want to ruin an entire, like, yeah. afternoon smoking meat? I just expect, you know, he's he's the barbecue man. Yeah, so. man. A, a barbecue. You can't barbecue peeps. It's yeah. just pure no. sugar. It literally it's has three barbecue. ingredients. Sugar, corn syrup, and gelatin. A peeps dry rub. Hey, Barry. There you go. Why don't you make some, some mores with them? God Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'll get into that later, but that was one that literally made me cringe multiple times listening to this show last week. Why 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 do you want to wait till later? Why did you get it off your chest right now? Yeah, don't don't bury the okay. lead. 
Oh yeah, sure. Okay, so yeah, I don't have bury some it. <laughs> I, I won't bury the lead. God damn it. Uh, oh yeah, so I have some notes about last week's show. Oh okay. Oh, Andy. oh do you oh, Andy? Andy two point All right, Andy two point Roll roll your notes. Let's go. Birch beer, good stuff. Like it. Yeah. Always liked it since I was a kid. Agree. And, and, and these are in no particular order. Apparently. Can't believe that Torgo finally watched Dirty Harry. I didn't think that was ever going to happen. <laughs> Joss Whedon did not develop projects in a vacuum. Uh, a lot of his projects were done with collaboration, so even though his reputation is tarnished, that does not necessarily affect the people uh, than the projects that he developed in the past. So that's why I'm that's still forward with the, the, the liking and disliking of, of things that, that Whedon has had a hand in. Especially like the MCU stuff. That was not him doing it himself. So, did you ever look up Cinema Verite, Andy? Uh, I see them around too. I was screaming at the uh, at the radio <laughs> in my car when you guys were asking, "What Cinema Verite?" No, no, I was asking. Everybody else knew. I'm an idiot. Okay, Invincible is great. Uh, he I'm made us in. look bad, right? <laughs> Peeps are awesome. Movie, not so much. I think I already covered that. Patent reform is definitely long overdue. I think I've mentioned that on the show before. You have. Random Amusings, The New Englander, and The Canadian Arguing About Pronunciation. <coughs> um, some Moors. Yeah. It's S apostrophe Moors. It's hyphenated. It's supposed to be s'mores, not some Moors. That you're, you're eliminating the, necessary, the, the necessis, eh, necessity of the apostrophe if you're listen, pronouncing the whole listen. word. Hey, I agree with you. S'mores. Andy was bringing it back to its original origin. Yes. Right. Just uh, like marshmallow peeps are actually made from real marshmallows, the mallows that are grown in a march. Gotcha. This is back when they were all in caves making s'mores. I only have a couple more notes, so I'll get through this quick. Uh, this this <laughs> sure. is kind of a theme for the next few, so bear with me. Uh, Barry is wrong. Musicals are awesome. The reason he doesn't like them is because musicals evoke emotion, and Barry doesn't like <laughs> I agree with I agree with Jeff 100 percent 100 percent I agree. Barry doesn't like to feel feelings other than hate, so uh, that kind of talks about that. Um, Also, from experience, I know that you will all eventually pay for calling Deb Debbie. Um, (laughs) The MST3K crew are cool with each other. In fact, they have frequently collaborated with each other on projects. In fact, uh, recently, Joel Hodgson defended Mike Nelson, saying that he was an integral part of the MST mythos. So of course. Uh, he they was... say that he actually told the person, if you hate Mike, you hate MST. So uh, I thought that was very, uh, very awesome to see. Yeah. Before Mike got in front of the camera, he was head writer off yeah. camera. Exactly. But really, Jim Mallon's the only one that's kind of the odd man out now. Exactly. Also, uh, Torgo said he's never been to anime, in into uh, into anime. Uh, apparently, Torgo forgets that in college he was big into anime because I remember driving around Evansville <laughs> looking for different anime films for us to watch when I went to visit him. You know what? You're not entirely wrong. Uh, that was when I first discovered that it existed. And not only existed, but it was goddamn dirty at times. So that's when I yeah. started going, oh, it was the first time I realized somebody out there made cartoons not only for adults, but really nasty ones, too. They were violent and bloody, absolutely. So, uh, And also, I coined a new term. I call it nostalgia block. 
That's uh, a term meaning that uh, people block out new things and the potential like for them unless they are related to something that they are nostalgic about. So that would be like continuation of Star Wars, Star Trek, so forth. And Barry is, is definitely suffering from a nostalgia block as far as why he hates everything now. Just because everything sucks. It's not my fault. Oh, there you go. Uh, the cry of, it's all your fault. It's never me. Yep. You get, <laughs> you get older, you start closing the door to new things. Hey, let's go try this new thing. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> so there you go. Those are, those are my notes. I call bullshit, but you don't know any better, so we'll just nod and go, okay. <laughs> As somebody smarter than me once said, uh, Jeff is entitled to his opinion even when it's wrong. <laughs> you set me off again, motherfucker. All right. I will tell you that, you know, you are wrong, and I will prove it, because just this last week, I discovered a new type of tea that I liked. So there you go. Everything you said is wrong. <laughs> Deb, Deb uh, it, can you confirm that, or is he just making that up? It was two weeks ago, and he's not making it up, but it, it's a Chinese tea that's like his pu'er. So it's, you know, smells like dirt and soil. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's like his what? Pu'er it, smells like dirt and soil and poop. This is Lap Sang Sa Chung, and, it's, it's and it smells like pine wood fire. <laughs> pu'er sounds like the most <laughs> apt <laughs> title. Does yeah, somebody else hear this but me? What the hell? <laughs> Pu'er? Pu'er. It's, it's also called exactly a fart. Like it it's a Chinese tea. It's a Chinese loose leaf tea. It's fermented brick of tea. It's earthy. I, I know what I it is. So. I've, I've served it many times. It's disgusting. <laughs> they serve it in the vending machines right next to the Japanese schoolgirl underwear. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? We'll continue. We'll just say that this has been what geeky things you do this week, and Jeff has given us a whole list. Uh, do you want to add anything to that, Jeff, before we continue on? Uh, well, um, I did get to watch two things uh, this last week that I highly recommend. First one is called Thunder Force. It's on Netflix. Um, wow. It's actually pretty good. It's a little superhero movie. Uh, it's definitely aimed at young women. So, yes, Thunder Force starring Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer. Um, <laughs> check it out. It's on Netflix. It's a fun little movie. But the one I was really, really happy that I discovered is called Spontaneous. And that is on multiple platforms. It's on uh, Hulu, Amazon Prime Video, and Epix. What is it? Uh, is Spontaneous is a dark comedy with hints of romantic comedy in it. So, and, you know, dark comedies are right up my alley. Um, essentially what it is, is uh, the premise of the film is there's a senior high school class that the students literally begin exploding. But not exploding like, you know, fire explosion. They literally just kind of pop into this gush of blood and and nobody can figure out why this is happening. So They, they go Mr. Creosote? Uh, like... Not in the fence that like like their clothes are perfectly intact. There's just this pile of blood and and uh, other small soft bits. But like even like their their bones and stuff are disappeared. It's it's really hilarious the first few times it happens. But um, the two main characters are very pop culture aware and they deal with the the horrors of this with 
with humor. And then, uh, in fact, they even compare it to Cronenberg films at one point there. So I hesitate to say too much more because I could easily give away a lot of the film. But definitely check out Spontaneous. Um, it's it's If you like dark comedies, it's hilarious. It's a very thoughtful film. In fact, uh, the tagline on the movie is like, it's an explosive love story. So... The film stars uh, Catherine Langford and Charlie Plummer. Uh, they're both two up-and-coming actors. Uh, you've probably seen Catherine Langford around in a few movies, but you may just not realize the name associated with the face. But uh, she's been in several things. Like, she was in Knives Out. It's the most recent thing that I can think of that I saw her in prior to this film. What did she play in Knives Out? The young daughter. You know, you barely saw her in the film, but she had, like, yeah. a few lines. And anyway... So, yeah, definitely check those two out if you get a chance. They're a lot of fun. I definitely want to check out Spontaneous, and Barry wants to check out Thunder Force. Oh, no. Uh, are we jumping into what I did for Geeky this week? It's very simple. I watched Thunder Force, and <laughs> I don't have enough middle fingers for you, Jeff, to express my <laughs> displeasure. That movie was like watching a constant train wreck where they're just the train just keeps wrecking and they keep pulling bodies out and it just gets worse. I, I figured I started the film, I might as well finish it. I, I, I don't like walking out on films. If a film's going to be bad, I want to experience the entirety of its badness. Like Ishtar or House of the Dead, you know, or your namesake, uh, Manos Hands of Fate. Uh, if it's going to be bad, it's going to be bad. And that movie was bullshit terrible. So you oh. hate watch it? You hate Did you watch, watch it too, Deb, or yes. was it just him? Oh, you know, I actually, I was the one who suggested it, and I did also not like it. The only really? saving grace, yeah, the only saving grace I found was <laughs> Melissa McCarthy and Jason Bateman scenes. Like, those were the only, like, fun scenes to watch. Otherwise, it just, it really felt like they were waiting for them to ad-lib some funny bits into the dialogue and it just never happened. I don't know. Jason just... Bateman can't right, do well. no wrong. The man is funny. He brings the funny to whatever he, he, whatever crap he's given. And oh my God, was he given some crap in this film. I, I, uh... I found it charming, even though I know I'm not the target audience for it, but that's me. So Who is? Your, your mileage may vary. <laughs> Truly... <laughs> Deeply, deeply fucktarded people are the are the are the audience for this show. So <laughs> strong words. Wow. I don't. How dare, I how dare you say that about our monkeys? I did not care for it. Nope. Jeff, are you saying that the monkeys are the target audience of this movie? I think uh, the monkeys right there, the way that Barry said that, were uh, made it sound like they were the target of his hate. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Get punctuation for me, you punctuation very matters. <laughs> no, the monkeys were not were not the target audience. Clearly, you were, but uh, <laughs> the monkeys in general are not. Anyway, <laughs> the other geeky thing I did this week was <clears throat> put together the website for the uh, the universe's best convention, uh, Vlargcon. Oh, tell us all about Vlargcon. I heard it was full of typos. It was full of typos, but that was like that was a, a fun game. It was a feature, not a bug, and I fixed it. So shut up. Uh, I, I made the website while I was a little impaired, but it's okay. July twenty third, twenty twenty one, Las Vegas. It's Vlargcon, and you can get your tickets by going to vanilla slash Vlargcon. 
don't give us the whole rundown, but but tell us some of the highlights of what, uh, if you attend VlargCon, what can be expected? Well, okay. First, you have to understand that this is the most amazing live event that has ever taken place in any known planet in the universe. It will blow your tits clean off. The event <laughs> schedule is action-packed with, with events. We got autograph signings, we got photos, we got VIP meet and greets, and we got such panels as Why Torgo Sucks, All About Barbecue, Things Vlarg Dislikes, it's going to be a long panel, um, What Vlarg Thinks, Listen, Tales from Cork's Bar, I gotta stop you right there. of Vlarg. Oh, and by the way, the poop exchange has been canceled. So, and, and there's more TBA. So, Go to VanillaSlutsLoveChocolateDick.com slash VlargCon. Is it going to be better than DeadCon? Because that one kind of fell flat. Way yeah, better. It does. Also, eat shit. DeadCon was amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my sure. God. You know, Inside baseball, DeadCon was a convention of villains I ran we've, for, we've for these about in greats in D&D. We've talked about it on the show. It's not inside. We have. Yeah, but, 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 when people haven't watched every episode for the last two years. Exactly. It's a dead con is it's not inside baseball, but it is let's remind people what it is. <laughs> as as Barry's talking about this, I'm having flashbacks to those commercials from the early nineties for like the monster truck rallies in the Midwest. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sitting here hearing in my head Friday, 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 yeah. July twenty third, twenty twenty one. It's Vlarcon. Vlarcon Now get ba- your tickets to the most incredible thing that has ever happened in the history of ever. Ever event schedule. Uh, so, Barry, this is real. This is actually happening. Yeah. So this is not some yeah, j- joke happening. that you're throwing out there on the Internet, not some not some lorem ipsum bullshit. You've got some – this is a real thing that people can't attend. It's a real website, and it's a real thing people can attend, and get your tickets now. So to, you know, to actually break that down to real speak, we're going to be in Vegas <laughs> in July, okay? And real speak. We're going to be real. at the Crown and Anchor on July 23rd, and if you'd like to come say hi, we will be now, there. S- some of the panels tend to overlap each other. You'll see when you get on the on the website. By the way, well, that website is vanillasluttsofchocoladedick.com slash vlargcon. Will there be badges? Will there be t-shirts? Badges? Yes, for their very t-shirts? limited run. Badges? We don't, don't need no stinking, stinking badges. badges. Nice. Everyone drink. So this is basically a meet and greet. Well, the um, VIP meet and greet happens at 6 p.m. at the Crown and Anchor. Nah. If you can, you know, you got you got to get a certain plutonium level of members get access to the meet and greet. Well, sorry to, to shit out. all over Vlargcon, but I'm gonna have to. You got a problem there, buddy? Have you called Crown and Anchor because they do social distancing, max six people at tables? I was just there a couple days ago. Oh, oh really? On the patio. June, yes. June first, Matt. Everything opens up to 100. percent Okay, sure, sure. That's Look, what if you don't secure your happens. tickets in time, that's not my problem. You'll just have to hang out on the sidewalk, and I'll throw peanuts at you. <laughs> <laughs> He'll do that anyway. But not the sidewalk on the side of the, the uh, Crown and Anchor, across the street at Metro Pizza. And Wait, I would bless the peanuts first. So I don't get I don't... a friends and family like badge or something? Come on. Are, are you either of those? <laughs> oh! Wow. Oh, Burn! Wow. I, I'm just amused that once again, Barry does a thing on a Friday when he knows that I work on weekends. God, bitch, I'm going to see you plenty when I get there. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Way to overshadow my birthday week with your stupid Vlarg con. Your birthday week is the previous week, ding dong. And I'm going to be there that day, but I'm going to get there late, but we'll hang. Anything else that you did or want to talk about, Vlarg? Uh, Good. Damn, what, cool. what did you do? Legend of Delta Pants. <laughs> what about your Delta Pants? Zelda. Zelda Pants. Great. Oh, Deb. I got him Zelda pajama pants. Yeah, Wait, Deb, you got him those uh, Zelda pants? I oh. did. So, Deb, <laughs> what did you do this week? We caught up on a couple of shows. Well, we started watching a new show, actually. Uh, and I think, Jeff, you yep. suggested this one, Lupin, on Netflix. That one, I really, we really like it. Three episodes in. For one, I've noticed during the work week, it's really easy to try to veg out, watch something on TV, but you're, like, on your phone while you're trying to watch something on TV. And this show, first of all, it's subtitled, so you have to pay attention. Um, you have to, like, read the subtitles so you know what's going on. It's also very intriguing. Like, it draws you into the story. I really enjoy it. And I've been catching up on one of the book series that I am reading. The current book is called A Court of Silver Flames by Sarah J. Mass, same author who wrote the uh, Throne of Glass series, which I think I've talked about before. Um, this is the fourth book in the Court of Thorns and Roses series. So she's kind of done this really cool thing. Like Throne of Glass was like her first big series. And the world she created, she has branched off from it to create this other book series. So it's like the worlds are related, which is kind of nice because it kind of ties things together. But obviously, some of her novels tend to be uh, very fantasy with huge sex scenes thrown in there. Ah, good sex. So, yes. <laughs> so some of the books um, are probably not for young adult readers unless you're 18 or older. They're, they get pretty uh, pretty graphic. But I enjoy the story. Like the story behind all of the characters and the interaction with all the characters. And I just really enjoy it. So I'm catching up on that one right now. I've been doing a lot of, I have tons of credits on Audible because we haven't, I haven't had to drive to work. Um, and I usually listen to books while I'm driving to work. And so I've been trying to listen to books while I'm doing chores around the house or putting away laundry and doing stuff like that. So I've been doing a lot of that this week. Excellent. Andy, what'd you do this week? Not as much as I would have liked to, but I did um, finish off the Orville. So I'm, I'm all caught up the Orville, you know, eagerly waiting for the third season. That's a great show, but it's, so great that I had to watch it in pieces. There, there would be times where I'd have to like, yeah, that's enough Orville. I'm full. That's that's too much to watch because it it can be intense. I mean, it it's, uh, definitely yeah. makes you think on a lot of stuff. It's it's much more heady than you'd think when you're expecting, you know, Star Trek with uh, dick jokes. It's it's, it's good. It's uh, paced yeah. well when they do the jokes. Yes, but the. The storylines often are much heavier than I expected, and and do not resolve tidy. There's not uh, always so, a happy ending on the show. You're absolutely right. Yeah, my my yin to that yang, or yang to that yin, is the librarians, which is sort of my uh, my uh, my sitting in front of the TV of the bold Captain Crunch uh, show. Yeah. And, and, and I refuse to find out how much is left there. I, I think I'm in the second season. I don't know how many seasons are. Don't tell me. I just wanted to surprise me at the end. It's probably going to end next episode. But, um, yeah, I got up to an episode that was a uh, loop. There was a, it started off and they thought it was a, they thought it was a time loop and it ended up being a, uh, sorry, spoiler for one episode of the show. 
uh, halfway through, they realize it's not a time loop; it's a uh, it's a video game, and they can keep going back to the spawn point. Oh. I really enjoyed was, that series. Yeah, good series. Yeah, it's unlike the Orville in that it is not a terribly heady show. It's a very light show. It's a very uh, not that there isn't drama to it, but uh, it, it's not. Uh, how do I say this politely? It's just, it doesn't it's get just, into it, social matters like social current things. Yeah, like the it's, Orville it's does. a very popcorn show. It's it's a very light despite that but some great acting some great i mean john larroquette's wonderful in it uh matt matt frewer's in the first season and 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 it's also weird crossover between that and leverage there's several characters from leverage several actors from leverage one of the one of the main guys from leverage is in it but also yeah the tough guy but also some of the uh, some of the other people from leverage show up in it in various ways did you know that the new leverage show they're gonna do um, it's going to have, what's his name? The star from the librarians that did the, the movies. Why am I blinking? He was an ER. Yeah, I know. Uh, Noah. Noah Wiley. Noah Wiley. Noah He's Wiley, actually going to yeah. be in the next season of Leverage. He'll be replacing, he'll be replacing Hutton, I think. Yeah, uh, that's fine. I, I, like I say, there's got to be, a, there's a lot of crossover between those. They must be have the same producers and such. But uh, yeah, I'm enjoying that. Now that I'm thinking of it, there's been a lot of talk about, uh, it's like a petition out to. It's probably I'm jump, probably stepping on your uh, your news here, Todd. But there's a petition out to. Um, there's a Black Panther petition to recast T'Challa, not not let that character disappear. And uh, I think uh, what's his name, um, Aldous Hodge, would be a wonderful T'Challa. Aldous Hodge is just a great actor, anyway. Exactly. Uh, in fact, the only thing that would keep it from that is that he's kind of become. You know, he's kind of become a name actor. He showed up in several big things. I mean, he was in um, he was in uh, the One Night in Miami playing uh, Jim Brown very well. He's also a bit taller than a lot of his contemporary actors, too. So that might also slightly work against him. Because mm-hmm. knowing how Hollywood is. <laughs> and I watched The uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And uh, i got nothing to say about it. I'm waiting for next week when he'll... Sure, we'll do. Uh, we'll we'll hear Kirsten's side of it now that we'll watch it all in one fell swoop. So I'm, I'm wetting people's appetites for next week. Oh yeah, is that what you call it? <laughs> yeah. I thought they were doing eight episodes. I'm pretty sure it's six, but I'll double check while somebody else tells what they did there in a week. As... Uh, absolutely nothing. All right, Andy, how many episodes are there? <laughs> well, that that makes my job easier. Okay, we did, Matt. <laughs> Kirsten, what did you do this week? <laughs> I made a goddamn D and D character. Uh, oh, for a for a new game or just for fun? Yeah, it's a one shot we'll be doing next week. I actually got pretty frustrated, so I was just like, I spent six hours working on this character, and it was just driving me nuts because everything everything was going wrong, and it was just just uh, roll twenty sometimes irritates me. I was trying to figure out what kind of character to be. Based on people signing up for the game, I kind of settled on, I was settling on, uh, okay, I'll be a frontline melee but uh, I want I like magic stuff. I want to do magic stuff. So I'm looking around and I'm thinking, oh, maybe the Eldritch Knight, but what kind of, what kind of race I want to be? I don't just want to be my normal, like a half orc or an elf or something, or maybe I'll do the Leonin. Or uh, I don't know. And I'm like putting stuff up on the, the, the Facebook event page that this is on. 
And Elaine is like, well, you know, uh, Cobalt Press has some interesting things. And I'm like, oh, and you bought into that for Roll20? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh. So I'm looking at Cobalt Press's page, and I'm like, ooh, this is a cool character concept. I like this. So I start building. Now, in Roll20, you got to build level by level. And the subclasses don't kick in until third level. So I'm building, building, building first level, done. Building, building, building second level, done. Building, building, building. Let's look at third level subclasses. They don't have the one I was really interested in. And I was like, shit. Well, you know what? If I, oh, shit. So it was like, okay, yeah, fuck it. I'll just go with Barbarian. So I had to start all over in that one. And I'm starting in the Barbarian. Now, in Roll20, you choose race, class, and you roll your ability scores. What I'd done with the first one is I'd rolled up ability scores, and uh, I'd chosen the best lot, put it in there. But for Barbarian, what I want to do in Barbarian, it's a lousy set of ability scores. And I was looking at that, and I'm like, oh, you you dummy, this, is, this isn't going to work. Uh, so I look at warlock things, and I look at other things, and I look at other races, and I finally was like, fuck it. I just did variant human fighter. Classic. And the champion fighter, which is which is his vanilla. It's vanilla right from the beaver's ass. It was just like, oh, God. Fighter, mage, oh. cleric, thief. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I miss those days. I was arguing with an idiot about something else D&D earlier, and, you know, I miss the days of AD&D. Anyway, I go to fifth level. I make my character. It's all done. I shoot off my list of magic items I'd like, uh, you know, anything uh, Elena might consider on Discord. I'm set up. I, out, I, I get my gold, and I buy all my equipment. I've got a, I've got a bullseye lantern. I've got... Three flasks of oil. I, 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 I bought a crowbar. I'm set. So to make our tokens for the game, uh, Elena likes us to go to Hero Forge and make our minis. Because Hero Forge now lets you, you color them in. You can save them. It's actually a great idea. It, it, she's inspired for using it. And Hero Forge is very smart in doing this thing. So I'm building my human, and I'm digging through all the different, because their armors are just not look, some of their armors just don't look good, and some of the, and I'm, you know, you got to, like, remove the helmet, because your character mini on the token, it really is hard to see if you include the helmet, and I'm working on this, and I'm working on that, and I'm tweaking my colors, I finally get it down to where I wanted, and I was like, okay, and then I accidentally hit a delete button on the body icon, and so suddenly I've got a big naked character just standing there, and I'm like, fuck. Keep it. And so I had I had to go back, and I had to recreate that motherfucking, and fortunately, I didn't have to look for shit. I just had to find what I'd already chosen, but... I spent six and a half hours when I finally finished that mini and sent the link off to, and that was right from the very beginning. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, oh shit! And I still gotta, I still gotta help Andy make his first character in Roll Twenty. Yes, you do. That's gonna, 
that's going to be an adventure. It was just like, oh my god. Fortunately, Elena runs a good a good game. She runs a good one shot, so it's worth the effort. But holy crap! I do actually have a character that uh, I'm actually. It, it'll be cool to play. So there you go. He'll be right next to probably uh, Professor Biggs Kralk, the ah. paladin who's dressed in blue and red and and looks like Superman. Anyway. <laughs> so sounds right. There you Great go. Great Kalis. Before I get into what I did this week, I do want to throw in a few bit of business. We're still reading Invincible by Robert Kirkman for the book club. I not only finished that first volume for the club, I went on and read the next three after it because I was having so much fun with it. So I went through four volumes of Invincible this week. And it's so impressive having that the reading of it fresh while watching the show. It just exemplifies just what a good job they did on the show to not only condense it, but rearrange it to make it extremely watchable. It's impressive the, how they did that. Is the graphic novel as graphic as the uh, as the animated series? or? Yes and no. It's, it's definitely gory in, in moments, but okay. it's also still life. So that's catching you know, the single photograph of the moment. Uh, where sure. they they play it out in the in the show, so yeah, keep no. keep reading. It gets it gets brutal. Yeah, brutality. I don't understand why Amazon can do so well with Invincible, and other networks can do so incredibly poorly with comic uh, translations. I'm looking at you, Lucifer. <laughs> well, that was originally for network, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the, that let's make it a procedural thing, like they did apparently with um, Snowpiercer. It became a procedural. Did it really? Yeah. We watched the show. We enjoyed it. Yeah. But it was a procedural. No, wasn't it? dude. No. That's what I heard. You already no. watched it? <laughs> what you heard. heard. It's what I you heard. heard. It's what you heard. Well, that's what I heard. <laughs> I heard it from the famous Paul. Oh, oh, okay. God, what? Um, that that's your beacon of, of pop culture truth? <laughs> no, actually I actually it was it was it was uh was it him? It was definitely on that show, I'm sorry. <laughs> no no your source know the reliability of your sources, Andy. Don't they do that joke actually where they say, Oh, it's like Snowpiercer, but a procedural. No, no, this is actually what they were saying. It was. They were saying that like the 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 there was a character who was trading the fact he was a detective, on um, you know he was getting away with a lot of shit because he was trading the fact he was a detective. You need to watch oh, the that show. Andy. Like no, no, I don't. <laughs> I yeah. So well, let's put it this way: someone who's forced into essential slave labor to perform a task that they know how to do turns into a procedural for like an episode or two. The yeah. very watch the yeah. show, ding dong. <laughs> <laughs> and the Geek Shock Pinball FX3 tournament is in full force. The uh, tournament is on the Williams Whitewater table. I know some of you don't have the table. That's just the way it goes with some of these tournaments. The game only comes with two tables, so you have to buy the, any other tables you want. So for those who have Whitewater, it's running. 
But beware, this is a no-bullshit tournament. You only get three tries. And there are no powers allowed. No wizard powers, no upgrades. It is pure pinball, three balls unless you get an extra ball within the game itself. And it's running for seven days, which I think is now uh, five days at this point. Question. You Answer. only get three tries. Does that yes. mean you only get three balls every try, or you only get three tries and that's it? No, you get three balls every try. Three games of pinball. Okay. Okay. Because the amount of rage quit that I do with that game. Oh, yes. Mm. And, yeah. and I'll warn you now, anybody that has that table and you're thinking of getting it, it is a punishing, punishing table. That table is the goddamn devil. And that's why I chose it, because it's mean, and I'm mean. So. Yeah, speaking of, Jeff, speaking of pinball, okay? the new location for the Pinball Hall of Fame is now open. Wonderful. So if you're coming to Vegas for VlargCon, stop on in to the brand new Pinball Hall of Fame located on the Strip. Ooh. Now, I've seen the that. pictures. Looks really awesome. Oh, it's on the strip. Oh, fuck. It's down by the uh, Harley Davidson um, oh, uh, store. Just let me vent. Oh, I don't care if it's Harley Davidson store. Fuck. <laughs> but they have free parking. Oh, yeah. that's a big. You, you just had a raging heart on for that, didn't you? Parking example. <laughs> it's too bad they snuck this by you and you didn't listen to any podcast where they talked about it 40 or 50 times this year. Shut up, Andrew. <laughs> so, Jeff, remind me, how much bigger is this new space? Uh, it's supposed to be four or five times the, the size of the original. Wow. Or, or I should say the one that was on Tropicana and uh, Spencer. Was the original like in that super ghetto shopping center that was closer to like Tropicana? Trop and Pecos. Yeah. yeah oh, next the to the welfare theater. Uh, yes, yes. you say the next to the dollar theater that Andy enjoys so much. So good, 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 good uh, dig there, Barry. <laughs> as far as what I did this week, uh, I replaced my iPad finally, my, my dying, faltering, 12-goddamn-year-old iPad. And when you get a new Apple product, it comes with a year of Apple Plus, so I've got their streaming service for a year now. So I decided to kick off watching something on that service with Mythic Quest Raven's Banquet. Yeah, we it was on our red light green light. I think we we did green light it. Take one of those quirky personality comedies that exist around a idea like uh, Parks and Rec, uh, Community, The Office, where you have quirky characters in a setting and it has quite a bit of cringe comedy to it. Uh, that is Mythic Quest Raven's Banquet. This one is set in a MMO video game designer studio where you have the head of the, the game, which is the visionary, the engineering programmer that deals with that, uh, deals with the ego of the head of the game, the myriad of programmers, the play testers, and of course the business people behind it trying to make money while everyone else is trying to do art uh, and stir that in with Parks and Rec in the office and you have this show. Does it work? Yeah, kind of. Kind of it does. I don't think it goes far enough on the cringe element to be a cringe comedy. And I don't think it's as strong as the ones I've already suggested. But because of its subject matter, game design and the things that video game developers deal with as a comedy, I'm still compelled to watch because I find those kind of co uh, stories fascinating. 
the best episode so far has been the third one that I watched. They're they're basically making World of Warcraft. They're the the big World of Warcraft, the biggest game of the MMOs, uh, basic fantasy. So you already kind of know the game that they're developing. In the third episode, they get a problem where they have a bunch of Nazis that have infiltrated the game as a group and how they deal with it. It's 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 what you'd expect. I, I can't remember the name of the guy he's on. Uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. He's, he's the one that was uh, really cut for a while and became really fat. Oh, Mac. Yes, the one that plays Mac. Uh, he is the head of this show. He's he's the he's the big guy on this one, and he's he's everything you'd expect him to be. Is it worth getting Apple Plus to watch it? No. Do you have Apple Plus and want something to watch? It's decent. Uh, I'll probably watch it to its okay. end. If sometimes the comedy strikes, but sometimes it's like uh, I see what you're doing. That didn't quite work. I'm surprised you didn't start with For All Mankind. I didn't want to get into something initially that was going to be a what this two seasons so far of a full arc show. So For All Mankind is uh, a Ron Moore television show about the U.S. and USSR space race never ended. And it continued on as its own kind of Cold War. And uh, yeah. I hear lots of great things about it. So I look forward to watching that. Uh, there's a few shows on there I look forward to seeing, uh, no less the new Amazing Stories that they've done. It's a nice plus that, to have this with the pad that I can that's finally functional. Uh, but being able to uh, explore this streaming service without having to pay extra for it, it's nice. Is anything on Apple TV ever available on a different platform? Yes, you can subscribe to Apple TV. Anybody can. Uh, I'm watching it through my PlayStation 4. My Chromecast with Google TV has an app for Apple TV now, so you can actually uh, do the subscription and then watch it through that. Was the Roku? So, I yes. wonder. I think they just added the Roku app, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they're trying to expand it and make it a full-fledged, standalone streaming service. And they're creating a lot of original programming to make it work. Because, Matt, this is where Isaac Asimov's Foundation series is going to be. I know. I know. I know that. So Fuck. I'm glad I'll at least be around to watch that. Foundation series will probably get me to buy that. I hate to say it, but... It's five bucks for a month, so, you know, get it for a month and cancel it. That's cheap for a streaming platform nowadays. Yeah, they're trying to make a name for themselves and compete. And I did watch a wonderful show that Michael Johnson suggested a long time ago. It's on Amazon Prime, so if you have Amazon Prime, it is free to you. It's called Eye of the Beholder. It is a documentary about the artists that worked for TSR Hobbies and Dungeons & Dragons back in the day up until it went on to become bought out by Wizards of the Coast. So if you were a fan of the old D&D artwork going up through the second edition especially, but it goes beyond that a little bit too, you get to know the artists behind it, their techniques and styles, and a lot of fun stories that happened in the office back when D&D was a, a young creation. It is a very entertaining documentary, uh, especially if you like fantasy art, you should have seen this by now. It's glorious nice. to put a face to those that made some of the most iconic fantasy images that we grew up with. So it's called Eye of the Holder. It is definitely worth a watch. And if you have Prime on Amazon, it's free. So no excuse. Check it out. If you like D&D &D art you like that, you should also look at, and this thing came out a couple of years ago at least, 
uh, Art and Arcana, I believe it was, that big, thick-ass art book from D&D. That, that's page-turner. That's some good stuff right there. Uh, and it goes into deep detail about the art behind a lot of, of all, just all D&D products. So, Sounds like a good like companion one... piece. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Somewhere in my, back in Nevada, I have uh, original artwork from Grimtooth's Traps. Wow, mm. that's cool. If yeah. you're not familiar, Grimtooth's Traps was a third-party Dungeons & Dragons accessory that added way over-the-top Rube Goldberg-esque kind of traps to Dungeons & Dragons. It wasn't sanctioned by TSR, but it was very much usable and very much ridiculous when it came down to it. Of the first comic convention I had a booth at, I was seated <clears throat> next to uh, uh, S.A. Crompton, who was one of the illustrators for it, and who later was the uh, artist for Demi the Demoness. And uh, yeah, he was just selling the original artwork. I bought it for wow. relatively cheap. I don't know, like, like, like maybe 20 or 30 bucks. I bought oh, Jesus. a little tiny, a little tiny, like three by three picture of uh, a propeller blade that spins up out of the ground and cuts your legs. I would love to have a piece of that. That's great. Before we continue on to the show, there is one email I do want to address. Uh, a while ago, uh, it was put out that people wanted Jeff to do bad impressions of things. So <laughs> we got the uh, first request. So here it is. Oh, Jeff's boy. bad impressions. The first request is by Aussie Matt. Good day, oh, fuckers. Boy. The world really needs to hear Jeff's impression of Australia's greatest hero, Steve Irwin, doing a dramatic reading of Australia's true national anthem, K-San, by Cold Chisel. Thanks, Ozzy Matt. So, Jeff, you already had the lyrics pulled up. I had to pull them up a while ago. Uh -huh. So give us your best Steve Irwin doing some Cold Chisel. All right. Let's see. <laughs> 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 I have to think think back to Steve Irwin here. And she was like, so many more from that time on. Their lives were so empty till they found the chosen one. And their legs were often open. But the minds were always closed. And the hearts were held in suburban chains. And the legal pads were yellow. Long hours, paychecks, packets lean. On the telex, writers were clattered with the gunships. Once had been. Car parks makes me jumpy. And I never stopped the dream or the growing need for speed and Novocaine. <laughs> very, very well done. Very good. Very good, Jeff. That's, uh... I was going to apologize to Bindi, but I think she'd be proud. <laughs> I think so, too. Steve Irwin is, is, is Australia's national hero and not, and not Crocodile Dundee. No. Did Crocodile D. Dundee die for his show? No. And Thank not you. Yahoo Serious? <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. I forgot that one existed. Thank you, Matt, for writing in. And if you've got a bad impression you want Jeff to do, write us comments at uglycouchshow.com. Okay. Uh, we did get a big email from Alhambra Aaron going through the entire patents and why EA is patenting things and how they can get away with it. Uh, it is a long and involved exclamation and, uh, and a bit on the wonk side, which I like. It's a lot of information, uh, but I'm going to post this on the layer. So anybody that wants to read it, uh, because it is long and involved and we only have so much time in the show. 
But thank you, Alhambra Aaron, for telling us what's what. And we really appreciate you setting us straight. So I'll put that on the layer. Thank you so much. So now it's time Man. for some yeah. news you don't give a shit about. Wow. Wow. That was great. You okay over there? <laughs> I like the deep gasping the for air. <laughs> that was real. <clears throat> yeah. That was that was that was Andy's O face. Andy went method on that one. I don't want to know why you know that. News you don't give a shit about. NBC is creating a game show based on the classic board game Guess Who? The adaption comes from Endernal Shine North America and Hasbro's E1 and is in the early stages of development. The project has been in the works with the Lego Masters producer and production arm of the Toy Giant since 2019 and recently got on board at NBC. In each episode, contestants make snap judgments based on intuition and clues in an effort to win cash prizes. In the original guessing game, each Guess Who player chooses a mystery character and then, using yes or no questions, tries to figure out the other player's mystery character. When they think they know who their opponent's mystery character is, players make a guess. If the guess is wrong, that player loses the game. Guess Who is one of Hasbro's most popular games of all time. It was launched in 1979 and is sold in more than 28 countries around the world. It sells, on average, around 2 million units a year globally. That boggles my mind. Why would that be the most popular? Oh, no words. Okay, never mind. I got it. Moving no, on. I just—I I, I, was—I I really <laughs> thought there was like a whole ponder about why, but I realized right away that you can sell it internationally because you don't have to worry about people understanding the language. It's all pictures. Yes, yeah, everyone's got their picture character, and is your—is your character wearing blue? Yes or no? You know, that's right. It's a—it's very basic. Does your character look like a bitch? No. <laughs> Flip down, Winston Marsalis. <laughs> News you don't give a shit about. The PS5 will still be able to play some disc-based games when its internal clock dies, but digital purchases will be inaccessible. According to a study by gang preservation team Does It Play, the PS5 won't suffer as badly as older Sony consoles when its internal battery dies. The issue is that all Sony consoles, including the PS5 and PS4, have an internal battery called a CMOS, which helps the console keep track of time when it's powered down. Consoles rely on the accuracy of this internal clock to verify your access to digital content. In the case of the PS4, the winding down of this clock prevents you from playing disc-based games too, but the battery's death only affects some PS5 discs. So there are huge implications when it comes to both game preservation and long-term game ownership. If you're planning on hanging on to your PS5 for many years to come, you may reach the point where your console's internal battery dies and you're left with a severely hampered machine. It will still play some disc games, but you'll lose access to all your digital games. Uh, CMOS batteries have a variable lifespan, but it typically lies somewhere between 5 to 10 years. On PC... It's a two-minute job to replace a CMOS battery. But given the nature of games consoles, it's not such a simple repair job. There is some improvement here when compared to previous consoles, though. The PS3, Vita, PSP are essentially paperweights once their internal batteries die. 
So the PS5 working at all is progress. Uh, does it play, though, isn't happy, and it's calling for Sony to release firmware update that removes the requirement for the CMOS battery to connect to Sony servers for games and DLC is to function, and I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it, it that sucks because, yeah, it is a battery in your PlayStation, whichever variation you have, and when it dies, right. your PlayStation dies along with it without Gross. some very expensive yeah. in-console repair. That's... That's creepy, stupid, sucky. Yeah, especially yeah. it's a five to ten year battery. Same, does the yes. Xbox have the same vulnerability? Uh, not that I'm aware of, but doesn't mean it doesn't. Then we chose correctly. If <laughs> I recall, that those batteries are actually welded onto the motherboards on those game systems, as opposed to like on a lot of modern uh, PC motherboards, where it's just a matter of sliding it out and sliding a new lithium yeah. battery in. Yeah, there, there, there is no excuse for them not to have that in there. No. E except for built-in obsolescence. Right. And it's not even cheaper to weld it to the board than to have an easily removable and replaceable CMOS battery. It's no. just not any cheaper in these days. It's intentional no, design. Strictly planned obsolescence. Yeah, no, the things should have... The, they should, there should be punishment. One more reason to be a PC master race. All right? Right there. I'm uncomfortable with their use of the phrase master race. It's just... <laughs> yeah. News you don't give a shit about. Vin Diesel will be starring in an upcoming film adaptation of Rock'em Sock'em Robots. The game in which two <laughs> players box with a pair of mechanical fighters, well, plastic mechanical fighters, attempting to knock their opponent's head off. You These... know, of all the stupid movie game, you know, movies from games ideas, at least this one... There's something there. Yeah, we already I had mean, it. It's called Real Steel. Steel. Yeah, well, that wasn't suck official. Man, apparently. It's going to suck as well. Ugh. Diesel will produce and star in the live-action project, hailing from Mattel Films and Universal Pictures. Writer Ryan Engel, who wrote Rampage and The Commuter, will write uh -huh. this script as well, which centers around a father and son who form an unlikely bond with an advanced war machine. Again, Real Steel. Quoting Mattel, we are proud to bring this iconic piece of Mattel IP to life on the big screen with our tremendously talented partners, Vin Diesel, One Race Films, and Universal, added Robbie Brenner. That's the executive producer for Mattel Films. Uh, he continues, our rich library of franchises continues to yield compelling stories, and we look forward to creating what is sure to be thrilling action adventure for the whole family to enjoy with Rock'em Sock'em Robots, unquote. Mattel is going guns blazing with film adaptations. Uh, earlier this year, we learned that Little Yachty, the, the rapper, is producing a feature based on Uno, while Whackable has been scooped up for reality game show treatment. Uh, and Mattel doesn't have just games. Uh, Thomas the Tank Engine and He-Man are getting films, along with the Hot Wheels project from writers Neil Wigner and Gavin James. Uh, those are the two guys that wrote San Andreas. They're giving us Hot Wheels. Thomas the Train at least has that whole dystopian uh, alternate world shit going on. I mean, it, it's a nightmare in this Thomas the Train world. Terrible things happen. Now, mind you, you could probably... Just a slight easier time writing a Rock'em Sock'em robot movie versus an Uno movie, but not that much. There's there's yeah. as much compelling action in Rock'em Sock'em robots as there is in Battleship, and we saw a movie we got out of that. 
When are we going to get a Pogs movie? D- you know what? Don't be surprised. It's going to happen. Aren't, aren't those the little creatures in uh, Star Wars that live on the... Uh, no. 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 The little no. coin things that you like. Just stop. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thanks, Sandy. <laughs> you made all that waiting and work for that joke and just expanded on it and made it all the much better. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm here to serve. Bring the funny. One episode <laughs> at a time. Now I've actually forgot. Now I've actually forgotten what those damn things are called. They're, they're porks, porks, Andy. They're porks. 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 <laughs> I love it when even Todd has that hint of exhaustion in his voice. <laughs> uh, weirdly connected question: did, did anybody ever go to the Dave and Buster's and see the uh, uh, the life size Rock'em Sock'em robot setup they had there? Really? I've only seen pictures. I never actually made it up there because it's like way up in Summerlin or some shit like that, and I have no no interest in driving all that way for. You know, Dave and Buster's. Oh, oh yeah, it must it must suck to be a whole you know <laughs> twenty twenty miles away from Dave and Buster's. Oh my God, that must be terrible for you. <laughs> Isolation getting to you there, Andy? A little bit. Yeah. Weekend geek. Yay! Uh, normally we don't start. Can't drive twenty minutes. Sorry. I know I'm off the show. All right. <laughs> you know you can manually mute his mic, Todd. Oh God! Every now and then he has something important to say, and I want to be there when he says it. Oh Jesus! That's what we all say. <laughs> uh, normally we don't lead week and geek uh, with the passing of someone. But this week it is someone special to uh, to the show and to some of us personally. This week we lost actor and friend to the show Felix Silla. Has died at the age of 84. Silla is best known for being cousin It in the TV show The Adams Family. Uh, Silla was born on January 11, 1937, in a small village near Rome, Italy. He first came to the United States in 1955, where he worked as a circus performer for the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Show. From there, he went to Hollywood to work as a stuntman and, and as a double for child actors. He stood just under four feet tall and weighed 70 pounds. In addition to playing Cousin It, Silla's other best-known roles include playing the robot Tweaky, ODX, on Buck Rogers in the 25th century, and an evil miniature Hitler in 1975's The Black Bird. He also had smaller parts in much-loved movies, such as playing an Ewok on Star Wars Return of the Jedi and Dink in Spaceballs. He also worked as a stuntman on E.T. the Extraterrestrial, Poltergeist, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Howard the Duck, and Batman Returns. Some of us have spent a good amount of time with Felix, and so we're yeah. very, very, very sad and really want to honor him here. Yeah. He was the hang gliding Ewok. He was, uh, of course, because he was a stuntman. Right. I met him one time. Uh, We went to dinner at McMullen's. I think you were there, Andy. I was. Pretty sure you were there, yeah. I was. That was the reason he was. Let me start the. I'll I'll tell the beginning. You tell the the, uh, the end here. It was uh, was Tom's Wake. Yeah. Uh, I ran into Felix in the middle of the the bar room 
and this, you know, Felix is a small person, obviously, and the uh, the bars were over his head. And I said, hey, how's it going, Felix? He goes, I'm fine. How the hell do you get a drink here? I'm like, oh, what do you want? So I, I ordered him a drink, and then he followed us back to our table where we were sitting. And, yeah. you know, four or five or six of us sitting around just talking shit and, and Felix uh, telling stories that started off. Yeah, I was out bar hopping with Billy Barty. And uh, <laughs> it was, he was just, he was a great guy, salt of the earth. Yeah. Super he had such amazing stories, too. He was a, a, a fixture at, at the experience for various reasons, not just there signing autographs. Sometimes he was just there to kind of hang out, eat dinner. When I first yeah. started the experience, I was a server, and I waited on him several times. And just listening to his stories, talking about old Hollywood and all the stuff that he did. I mean, the guy was a, a stunt double for children in a lot of movies. He had a lot of starring roles of his own. He had interesting stories about Gil Gerard during the run of Buck Rogers. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. And uh, in fact, I, Kirsten, you... You got to spend a lot of time with him, too, as I recall. Is that correct? Yeah. His friendship with uh, Tom, our Klingon friend from uh, Star Trek The Experience, ran kind of deep. And so Felix did a lot of, a lot of stuff where he was supporting the, uh, the aliens. Uh, we even did like a, an alien appearance thing. Uh, after the experience closed and he would show up for stuff like that he was he was constantly popping in and he was a real uh, a real gentleman and uh, just a nice guy to meet i yeah it was kind of sad i'd heard something from uh richard odin who played roggle richard bob and mel that circle had a had a good ongoing friendship with uh, felix as well there was something about he was battling a few issues, so I guess he uh, just finally succumbed. But it's always interesting when you meet people who have spent so many decades working in Hollywood. Yeah. Just, just so many stories. I mean, that cross time. I mean, Cousin It in, in Adam's family, but then also, you know, Buck Rogers sort of like these are these are different decades of television this is black and white and color this is different stuff and you know he was present as a through line for for a lot of that and it was it's it was really fascinating uh, fascinating stuff his was, his imdb page is really impressive if anybody ever gets a chance look at it because for someone that was essentially new to hollywood when he moved out there that man worked consistently for nearly 50 years. It's, it's really goddamn impressive. I was fortunate enough to uh, interview him on stage at the uh, Vegas Valley Comic Book Festival. There wasn't a great crowd when it started. There was you know, maybe seven or eight people in the audience, and we're, we're just talking about his career. And then the room started to fill up because there was some big marquee event happening after the interview. And suddenly the room was full of people, and somebody said, who are you? And I started naming off his credits, and the crowd was went crazy. It was, it was wonderful to see the, the, the room exploding with, with love for Felix, and then Felix soaking it in. Smaller stature, but big in life. 
And we also lost Helen McCrory this week. She's a British actress known for playing Draco Malfoy's mother, Narissa, Nar- sorry, Narcissa, in the Harry Potter films. She's died at the age of 52. Now, McCrory made her screen debut in the late 90s with UK sitcom Full Stretch. And through her 23 career, she appeared in television, film, and theater projects, which dabbed her many accolades. In addition to Potter movies, her other genre credits include Fantastic Mr. Fox, Doctor Who, Phineas and Ferb, Skyfall, and Penny Dreadful. There was a local death, too, uh, that you guys probably had some contact with him. Bill Hughes was a photographer for a bunch of publications in town. I first met him when he was a photographer for City Life. He did a lot of, almost all the photography in City Life. I'm sure he photographed the aliens, but he was an amazing photographer. He, he Every photo he took was a piece of art. And uh, he passed away unexpectedly. I had no idea he was, you know, anywhere near passing away. And uh, just amazing work. I mean, just uh, the outpouring from the uh, the uh, journalism community and then anybody involved in the arts were just, you know, all over the fact that, yeah. And we honor them all here. Director Jordan Vogt-Roberts, who did uh, Kong Skull Island, and screenwriter Brian K. Vaughn, writer of Why the Last Man, among many other things, are teaming up to helm and produce the first ever live-action feature film version of Gundam, the hugely popular Japanese militarized giant robot franchise that kicked off in 1979 with creator Yoshi uh, Yoshiyuki Tomino and Sunrise Animation Studios' Mobile Suit Gundam. This is the same film that we've been hearing about since 2019 when Vaughn was first hired to write the project, but it is now finally going forward. I am yet to see a single episode of Mobile Suit Gundam, but whenever I go to the hobby stores, I see nothing but models of them. Uh, I haven't seen it, it all it's... either, but it's super popular with the with that crowd that likes it. Like to a ridiculous extent. Yes. Yeah. In my teens, I watched it, but I, I forget all the episodes. So <laughs> didn't really leave an impression, but it's good. It was good. What, what I remember is good. It was good. Like, when you go to the hobby shop and you go to the model section, you have two-thirds to three-quarters of it is all military and aircraft and ships. But there's that one quarter that's everything else. And a small bit of that is space. A small bit of that is science fiction modeling. And a huge chunk of that quarter is Gundam robots. I'm amazed that nobody in this crowd has, like, Gundam uh, knowledge. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I used to collect Transformers. It's adjacent, but sorry, I got nothing. That's, that falls in line with the anime stuff that I just nah, never got into. Somebody out there cares, and we report on it. Actor Jared Leto, director Darren Aronofsky, and producer Jason Blum are teaming up for a new supernatural feature film called Adrift, which will follow a fishing boat that discovers an abandoned yacht out in the open sea. When one of the fishing boat crew members agrees to man the yacht as it's towed back to port, he discovers a logbook detailing the fate of the yacht's inhabitants and begins to sense a malevolent presence on board. The project is an adaptation of a short story by Koji Suzuki, the Japanese author who is best known for the original novel Ring, or Ringu, and Darkwater. Adrift will bring Aronofsky and Leto together again for the first time in over 20 years following 2000's Requiem for a Dream. Jason Blum is the head of Blumhouse Films, the horror company behind franchises like Insidious, Sinister, The Purge, Paranormal Activity, and many more. 
It was Leto who apparently found the Suzuki story and pursued the rights for a decade with his producing partner, Emma Ludbrook. Will Jared Leto be method acting as a ghost? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, stay, stay tuned. I like the, I mean, the concept creeped me out already. The whole yeah. idea of, yeah. I mean, just, even if nothing happens, just being in the, the boat and not knowing what happened to the people, I mean... I, I love the ocean. I love being on the ocean. But there's a certain creepiness of the uh, how far away you are from everyone else, how uh, isolated you are. Yeah. You yeah. really need to get out of the house, my friend. You are so <laughs> just done with this isolation. I don't want to brag, but it's harder on me. I'm a people person. <laughs> so are some of us. I love the idea of Aronofsky and Jason Blum getting together for a project on its own. I mean, separate Leto out of it one way or the other. He's a good actor, but I understand his issues. But just Aronofsky and Blum, I'm, I'm already in. And yeah, the whole abandoned yacht thing pulls me in too. Uh, which brings me to this question to you, Andy. Did you ever watch the movie Open Water? No. Um, I'm not a big horror fan, but also that one I thought would definitely make me more scared than I wanted to be. Yes, it would. I, I, mm-hmm. I think you should watch it and report back to me. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> I'm only watching happy, fuzzy things for the most part. Uh, which reminds me, I, Deb, did you ever watch The Taking of Deborah Logan? Uh, no. no. All right. That's, that's, what, do you like, what do you like, the, the, the podcast personal nightmare inducer? <laughs> Goddamn Mephistopheles over there with your... <laughs> I, I think of more of a, a professor doling out homework that will enrich the students' lives. Bristow, did you ever watch uh, home home films of Andy Naked? Nope. Okay, well, there's your homework. For home. <laughs> there's your nightmare inducer. <laughs> you can see how he makes the concentric circle underwear live. <laughs> Misha Green, the creator and showrunner of HBO's Lovecraft Country series, has signed on to direct MGM's upcoming Tomb Raider sequel with uh, with Alicia Vikander. I yes. think that's right. Alicia Vikander again as Laura Croft. Free Fire writer Amy Jump reportedly had been set to write the new movie back in 2019. Uh, there's no recent word on whether Jump remains attached to that project, but The Hollywood Reporter has confirmed that Green is writing as well as directing. Vikander's first Laura Croft movie hauled in an estimated $275 million at the global box office, coming in the same year as the franchise's last major video game, Square Enix's Shadow of the Tomb Raider. So moving forward and with a hell of a creator behind it. I know Jeff watched the last Tomb Raider. You said it was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it was it was much more like the uh, the more recent uh, Tomb Raider video games on the, the more modern consoles. In fact, some elements of it seemed like it was taken directly out of those video games. I like those games. The games themselves are amazing. The graphics of the story, they're just amazing. But yeah, I really did enjoy that last one, that last movie, that first one that the actress played, and it was good. I'm glad it did well enough to warrant a sequel. It's, it's one of those things that I just want there to be more of. It's, it's that whole Indiana Jones adjacent. And I, and I realize there, there are problems with it, but I find them entertaining. I'm sorry. Well, it's like, was it National Treasure? I mean, those movies, there's problems with those two, but those are fun. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding? Those are perfect movies. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I finally saw the first National Treasure uh, about a month ago. Very, very first time watched it. It's a decent little flick. Is the second it's one better? Fun. Better, equal, less than? Wait. You saw National Treasure, their first National Treasure with me like years ago. Nope. When I bought the Blu-ray. Yeah, you did. We watched it at the house. Then I forgot the, the whole thing because I never, I, I watched it all for the first time as far as I'm aware. Okay. That's how much it stuck with me, I guess. <laughs> how drunk were you the first time? Or sleeping. Could have been both. Could have been yeah. both. I was just drunk enough when I saw it because it's not, there are some major flaws in that movie. But I was just drunk enough to really enjoy it. But I was, as I was sobering up near the end, I'm like, well, I'm glad I was drunk enough to enjoy that because uh, the whole bit where the boat blows up in the beginning, it's like that boat was more historically significant than anything that they pulled out of it. <laughs> it's a it's a Bruckheimer joint, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Everything's got to yeah. blow up. I know. Look for nothing yeah, yeah, deep. Yeah. You will not find it. Right. What other movies have you seen when you were impaired in some way that you watched again later and realized, yeah, that wasn't as good? Oh, oh we'll start for me. It's easy. Episode talk- one. Yeah, you talked about that a couple weeks ago, I think. Yeah, but I'm also going to be in Beer Fest. Beer Fest? I don't know that Beer one. Fest. I saw that and I was really drunk and I was like, wow, this is the greatest film ever. And then I saw it again and I go the opposite way with that. <laughs> Super Troopers was much better. Oh, yeah. Director Gore Verbinski is set to direct a big screen version of George R.R. Martin's 1979 sci-fi horror novelette Sand Kings for Netflix. While Dennis Kelly, the mastermind behind the hit 2014 UK sci-fi conspiracy series Utopia, will adapt the script. While Verbinski declined to reveal any more details... Collider reports the project is being produced for the streamer by Digital Riot Media, the company behind the Happy Death Day series. First published in 1979 in Omni Magazine, Sand Kings is a horror, a sci-fi horror tale in the vein of Frankenstein and Gremlins. It won Martin both the Hugo Award and the Nebula Award for Best Novelette and takes place in Martin's fictional Thousand Worlds universe, specifically the planet Balder, and follows Simon Cress, a wealthy brutish playboy who collects dangerous exotic animals. When most of his pets die while he's on business trip, Simon stumbles on a mysterious new establishment called Woe and Shade, where he purchases a terrarium containing four colonies of alien creatures called Sand Kings. The hungry critters include a telepathic female called a maw and insect-like mobiles who hunt and gather food as well as build castles and fight coordinated wars and battles amongst themselves. Simon is assured by Woe and Shade's owner, Jala Woe, that not only will the new pets grow and to fill whatever environment they're kept in, but they're easy to maintain and will digest anything. But woe to the person who lets the colonies get out of control. Verbinski is known for such genre films as The Ring, as well as family adventure fare like Mouse Hunt, Rango, Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, and The Lone Ranger. No word when Sand Kings will premiere on Netflix. Hmm. I I like it. I like this Gremlins in a warlike society ant farm thing. I like it. I'll take it. It's a wide range of uh, films, too. (laughs) It's directed. And speaking of a wide range of things, it's time for Red Light, Green Light! Red Light, Green Light, such a fun game to play, yeah. doesn't matter what you 
Red wine, green wine. All right, I bring this meeting back to order. We're running out of money. And no, it's not because my horses didn't come in. There's problems beyond that, all right? So what I've got here is I got four, four pitches to choose from. You each get one green light, so listen closely because one or more of these are fake. So here we go. What are your choices this week? They are the Kingdom Keepers, the Disasters, Providence, and Cinema Toast. Let's begin. First up, Kingdom Keepers. Walt Disney Studios is developing a new series for Disney Plus based on Disney Hyperion's New York Times best-selling book series, The Kingdom Keepers by Ridley Pearson. Here's the synopsis for the first novel. Five young teens, Finn, Willa, Charlene, Maybeck, and Philby, have been selected to serve as holographic theme park guides, Disney Host Interactives, or DHIs, in Walt Disney World. Thanks to a glitch in DHI technology, the five teens are transported every night into the park as holograms while they sleep. They find themselves in the middle of a war against various Disney villains called the Overtakers, led by Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty, and they must stop them from taking over the park and the world. They are helped by an original Disney Imagineer, Wayne, who tells them about a riddle called the Stonecutter's Quill, which they must solve by going to different rides in the Magic Kingdom. Only by solving this riddle can they obtain what they need to defeat Maleficent. Pearson is attached to produce. No word yet on who will helm the show or if Pearson will be adapting his own work for the screen. That is The Kingdom Keepers. Next up, The Disasters. Greg Berlanti will be developing and executive producing a space drama with Derek Simon based on The Disasters, a young adult novel by M.K. England through Berlanti Productions. Here's the description from that book. Hotshot pilot Nax Hall has a history of making poor life choices, so it's not exactly a surprise when he's kicked out of the elite Ellis Station Academy in less than 24 hours. But Nax's one-way trip to Earth is cut short when a terrorist group attacks the Academy. Nax and three other washouts escape, barely, but they're also the sole witnesses to the biggest crime in the history of space colonization and the perfect scapegoats. On the run, Nax and his fellow failures plan to pull off a dangerous heist to spread the truth because they may not be Academy material and they may not even get along, but they're the only ones left to step up and fight. Full of high-stakes action, subversive humor, and underdogs becoming heroes, this young adult sci-fi adventure is perfect for fans of Illuminati, Heart of Iron, or the cult classic TV show Firefly, and is also a page-turning thrill ride that anyone, not just space nerds, can enjoy. Simon will write the script and executive produce it alongside Lee Toland, who did Superman and Lois, who will direct should the script get past the pilot stage. That's The Disasters. Next up, Providence. The Magician's co-creator Sarah Gamble will be adapting another one of Caroline Kepnes's books. She did the book You. We read that for the book club. For the small screen for NBC Universal streaming service Peacock. Providence tells the story of John Bronson, 
who after vanishing along with five of his classmates when they were 12 years old, reappears 10 years later. But not all is as it seems, as John and his fellow returnees discover they've been granted horrific supernatural abilities. Making matters worse is the fact that they're preventing him from once again reconnecting with his childhood crush, Chloe Sayers, who never gave up hope of his eventual return. So now it's up to John to figure out what has been done to him and the others and why all of this is happening. Gamble will write the project alongside Neil Reynolds, who did the TV show You. No release date yet has been set. And finally, we have Cinema Toast. Showtime has ordered a new anthology series, Cinema Toast, created by Jeff Bayana, who did The Little Hours, and produced by the Duplass Brothers, who did Room 104, set to stream later this month. The series is described as a postmodernist reinvention of older movies that turns pre-existing imagery from the public domain on its head to tell new, unique stories. Directors of the series include Bayana, Jay Duplass, Mel Islin, Marta Cunningham, Aubrey Plaza, Numa Perrier, Jordan Firstman, and David Lowry. The episodes are voiced by actors including Allison Brie, Nick Offerman, Fred Armisen, John Early, Christina Ricci, Megan Mullaney, Chloe Feynman, and Chris Maloney. Quote, when the pandemic first hit and all paths to traditional production seemed unlikely at best, I racked my brain to find a way to still create, said Bayana. That's when the idea hit me to redub and reshape old material into something transcendent that extends beyond just a comedic curio, unquote. Cinema Toast features stories spanning genres including drama, horror, and comedy. Plaza's psychological thriller, Quiet Illness, pieces together footage of Loretta Young to create a portrait of an emotionally tortured modern woman, while Cunningham's Attack of the Karens shows just how timely the classic Night of the Living Dead is when recontextualized within this last year of America. And in the end, Eslin injects the beloved monster movie Beast from the Haunted Cave with a mumblecore comedy sensibility, and with report on the canine auto-mechanical Soviet threat, Perry creates a surreal journey from Soviet rarities about a young boy who is immersed in a new reality inhabited by talking cars and telepathic dogs. There you have it. Cinema Toast, Providence, and the Disasters, and the Kingdom Keepers. It is time to lay down your green lights, and we are going to start with Deb. This is hard. So I'm a huge fan of Fire, Firefly. Uh, love that show. It did not get its run that it should have because it was on Fox television. I mean, there's a couple other stories that you just said which are a little intriguing to me, but I think my vote's going to go with the disasters. That's green for the disasters. Barry, where do you lay your green light? Uh, yeah. Nothing, because you hit um, them all, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. I do hate them all, actually, if you must know. There, there's something I need to point out uh, that I, I just looked up really quickly. Everyone loves Firefly what? so what? much. What? Wait, wait, wait. You looked up what? On the internet? You broke the rule? No, 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 no. I was looking up Firefly on the internet, and I was looking up Auto Man on the internet, because I just realized Firefly had 14 episodes, Auto Man had 13. Where is the love for Auto Man? You know what? You're not wrong. And uh, I've actually watched a few episodes of Auto Man in the last couple of weeks, which is kind of weird that you're bringing it up. That kind of freaks me out a little. Yeah. 
where's the love? Everyone's like, ooh, Firefly, ooh, boo, boo, boo. Where's the love for Man? Anyway, Kingdom Keepers. This was clearly a book for children, and I have no interest in this, nor do I have an interest in greenlighting it, because, you know, it's... It, yeah, I'm sure it'll make some money for Disney, but it, 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 it seems a little convoluted. Disasters, yet another young adult novel. I won't watch it, but some people probably will. Providence sounds uninteresting to me. It sounds like it'll do another one of these series with a little hook, and it'll just, just going to drag on way too long. Cinema Toast, I don't understand at all. That explanation was a train wreck. So I'm going to give my green light to the one I think will make me money disasters and then i simply won't watch it <laughs> <laughs> matt where'd you put your green light well i too agree with barry avocado toast very confusing <laughs> uh, so i gotta go with uh the disasters more sci-fi let's get it even though it's young adult whatever disasters jeff where'd green you put light. your green light I actually found the premise of creating episodes the way that they want to do that with Cinema Toast intriguing. Uh, so that's where I'm going to lay my green light, Cinema Toast. You know, taking of older footage and, and recrafting it into uh, new storylines sounds really interesting to me. And, you know, especially since they're going to do multiple genres like comedy, drama, etc. using that. So I I don't know it to to me it sounds really interesting so that's where I'm gonna go. Andy, where do you put your green light? Uh, I like Cinema Toast because I like the cast and it's a different idea. It's not the same cookie cutter thing. It's it's uh, something that hasn't been done in a while. So yeah, I like Cinema Toast. It probably means it's not real, but damn it, I hope it's real because that's that's a, good <laughs> idea. It's a fun idea. And finally, Kirsten, where do you put your green light? Cinema Toast. It's crazy. It's off the wall. It sounds insane. I love the whole the whole idea behind uh, the insanity of it. It also, like Andy said, sounds really creative. Uh, uh, I think Jeff and Andy it hit really the high points of it. Cinema Toast is the only one that held me in there. And that leads us to a tie. So we're going to greenlight both Cinema Toast and The Disasters. Everyone's happy. So that being yeah. said, yeah. which of these are fake? Kirsten, why did you give me? Oh, boy. You know what? Um, I'm going to just, you know, say that it's got to be Cinnamon Toast because the way my life works, that'll just, you know, break my heart. Why don't you? Andy, what do you think is fake? I think Kingdom Keepers... Just because getting all that legalese past Disney, it's just like, I can't imagine Disney wanting anything bad happening in their parks, even if it's their villains attacking people who are holograms. I just, it, it seems like that would have been a hard push to, to sure. get past the lawyers. Al although the books are from Disney. Right, but I don't even so know they, if I they, they own that, right. They, they're the ones that came the story. <laughs> See, I, I don't even know if I believe the books exist. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. It's a spirit. I'm the same way, Andy. Jeff, what do you think's fake? Uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. Like Andy beat me to it. I I literally thought Kingdom Keepers uh, sounded like probably the fake pitch because 
it's a very different style of show for Disney. So I didn't think it sounded like something that they would normally put up either on Disney Plus or or on uh, you know network television. So that's that's the one I went with. That I thought was the uh, the fake pitch. Matt, it sounds like you feel the same way. I do. I, I think it's that Disney one. Kingdom Kingdom Hearts. That's the fake one. No. Vlog, what do you think's fake? I agree with Andy 100%. It's unfortunately I I think the book is real. I think I've heard that somewhere, but I don't think that Disney would go for uh for making that into a live action thing. So I call bullshit on Kingdom Keepers. And Deb, what do you think's fake? I mean, I kind of agree. Uh, Disney has a lot going for them with Disney Plus and all the shows they're bringing, and they definitely don't want to bring a bomb to the platform. So the story just sounds really convoluted and difficult to sell to people besides children, which, to be honest, is, you know, their audience. Most of their audience or half their audience. This is the studio that brought us uh, the live-action Tomorrowland, so, you know, I don't have that much faith. I actually kind of enjoyed that movie, but um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's hard. Yeah, I just it sounds like too much. Well, you guys did a good job. Yes, Kingdom Keepers was the fake given to us by oh. Matt from Two Broke Geeks, and by the way, the best damn Santa on the planet. Do the books exist? The book exists. I think they do. It's a series. Wow. It's a full series of Crazy books. Crazy shit. Disney released them. Uh, what I think like first one came out like six years ago. Seven years ago, even longer than that, I think. It sounds interesting. I mean, it's it's very different, but it seemed like it was so different than the type of output Disney is creating right now that it just felt like it was not something that they were actually working on. At least that, that's books, how it seemed to me. Yeah, I agree with Jeff. If the books exist, they should make them in the movies. I mean, it sounds like a good idea for a movie. I just... It seemed way too far out there for Disney. <laughs> and that means that the disasters, Providence, and Cinema Toast are all in various stages of development. And again, Cinema Toast is going to showtime, so they got a lot of leeway of what to do with it. And if you have a pitches, bitches, write to us. Comments at UglyCouchShow.com. And if you don't want me to edit your pitch, please state so in the body of the text. And until next week, I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. Jack Jack Dandy. Maple Leaf Matt. Vlog. And Deb. We'll talk to you next week in Geek. Vlog, you, you, you say it like you're throwing up that tea. <laughs> I, never, I don't understand how these shows keep getting made. Ugh. Sometimes I'll, I'll actually just give them a shot. And then I realize why I'm so pissy about these shows because they end up sucking. And I say, all right, you want to watch this? You watch it in your time. I'm, I'm not. I can't. I just can't. Yeah, don't watch What's your favorite show? What is your favorite show all time? You take one show to an island. What would you take? Oh, shit. One show? One, one like, show. One show and you get, you get all the episodes, but that's the only show you get. Vlerg, what do you take? That's correct. Ooh, boy. I don't know. Battlestar is always good. That's always a good watch every so often. But, you know, you watch it once through, you got to wait a few years to rewatch it. But that's like the first one that came to mind. So I'll go with that. I like okay. this. We're keeping the show going. Matt, what do you choose? Oh, come on. Babylon 5. Uh, we, of course, we should have known, right? All right, Deb, one show every 
episode. What do you choose? Doctor Who, because there's so many. Yeah. Of them. Mm. That's that's uh that's some thinking right there. Even the eighties schlock. I hey, say. There's so many of them that you could take your time getting through them and then you start back at the beginning and it's kinda like rewatching it after a long break. Yeah, I was just going to ask how many of the 60s and 70s episodes you saw, Deb, because I remember <laughs> sitting through some of those and going, I love Doctor Who, but wow. <laughs> wow, this one is out there. This you one is painful to watch. Because you'll want to exterminate yourself on that island. <laughs> Kirsten, what do you take? I think if I ever get super uber rich, I'm going to make sure somebody writes a book how to survive on a desert island with only this book so that from now on when people ask this question they'll like say oh how to survive on a desert island with just this book of course Durr. didn't you see star Castaway? trek original series star trek original series andy what do you take uh, i'm with deb there's there's so many episodes of doctor who and there's so much variety mm-hmm. and i'm taking mystery science theater when are you going to lay up some uh, scores on that uh, table there, Vlarg? I am taking my time, and I want to just point out to you that you He's are full just of shit talk. You are not taking MST3K. You're taking the Degrassi series, and you know it. <laughs> well, to be fair, there is a lot of that to watch, too, almost as much as Doctor Who. Yeah. I'm taking my time on the pinball thing. I haven't, I haven't bought it yet, but I will. Well, keep in mind, you only have five more days. Plenty of time. Plenty of time, he pinball. says. Get to pinball, pinball wizard. Let's go. <laughs> not worried. He's going to rage quit two of his three turns. Yeah. Ever since I was we'll... a young boy, I played With that. the balls? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> From Soho down to Brighton, he must have played with them all. <laughs> <laughs> all three of them. And if you want to play with Barry's balls, come to VlargCon. Vlargcon! <laughs> Vanilla Sluts Love Chocolate Dick.com slash Vlargcon. Is that a, is that a, what's a Patreon on that one, Vlarg? The playing with your balls. Thousand no, bucks. No charge for that. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that, people? No charge for Jeff. Uh, line up. Oh, Welcome, boy. folks, to Geek hey. Shock number. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Andy, it started already. Yeah, Andy. Take two and action. You better back doing this over Skype is you can't like hit each other. You can't hit our knuckles with a ruler when we do it. <laughs> right. Little what shall we call this, my friend? No, no. It wasn't that far back. It was a buckle. It was a buckle. Wow. I am author of the Hill People, Christ. and I have created this new dessert. Mm. I Andy, call it some ores. Okay? Would you like you to okay? try us some ore? Uh, I just tried to breathe cider. The reason he doesn't like them is because musicals evoke emotion, <laughs> and Barry doesn't like <laughs> feeling no. feelings. I agree Barry, with, I agree with Jeff like, 100%. 100% uh, I agree. Uh, my, I, have, I have a qualification to that. Around singing oh. about their bullshit. Shut up, Barry. I'm, I'm talking. Movie. Uh, it's definitely aimed at young women. Uh, so I'm all for uh, superhero films starring women, and uh, it stars Mith- Melissa McCarthy. And um... <laughs> hang on. <laughs> uh, okay, now, 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 Kirsten's laughing, which is gonna throw me off. Um, Octavia, uh, Octavia Spencer. Spencer. Thank you. Uh, 
I'll start over. See, now I know why you had so much trouble last week, Todd, with Kirsten. Do you know? Is that our episode title? Foreplay for a handjob? Probably not. So the iPad drained very quickly while we're Skyping for some reason. I don't know why. But I do know you're not supposed to soak the charging cord in your soda. <laughs> <laughs> Get some rice. <laughs>